You are listening to a podcast from West Hill United Church located in Scarborough, Ontario, Canada. These podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our listeners, volunteers, and members of our community. To donate, go to our website, www.westhill.net, and click on the Canada Helps button, or go to www.westhill.net forward slash donate. Before every Sunday service, we humbly acknowledge that we are on the traditional territory of the Mississaugas of the New Credit First Nations, which lands were previously occupied by the Seneca and Huron Hen, uh, pardon me, the, the Seneca and Huron Wendat First Nations. And welcome to, to our first uh, first Sunday back this year, uh, the first Sunday of the the twenties, the soaring twenties. Let's hope. Grounded, guided, growing. A time for centering. From Scott Kearns. I found the next slides uh, on last year at this time uh, section, and they are uh, Victorian older vintage Happy New Year cards. And this, they, the messages are different on each one. This is says Happy New Year. The next says a prosperous New Year. The next says I'm not reading it well. It, a glad new year, which I haven't heard before, and then a joyous new year, and then a, the, the, it says happy new year, but in the bottom right hand corner it says a healthy new year. Those are all the, 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 the salutations. And the next one is like a happy voyage into the new year. The last one is uh, 1900, and they're wishing people 1900. 1909. Yes. Numbers are not my... Even when they're starkly in front of me, I don't read them. Um, But I I found it especially poignant because they had no idea what was coming. 1909 had no idea what was changing in the world. And it was just particularly um, at this time uh, what we don't know. So I just put the next slide that it it is richly important... And, and, and stabilizing that we go into 20, the 2020s grounded in life, guided by love, and growing in wisdom throughout the year. Those are the values that we will take with us. And because they are values and they are chosen values, I was thinking of one of the New Year's songs that's played so often. I just want to move, in, move into the sharing time with it because it uh, celebrates old acquaintances And these values are just that for us. We have two readings this morning. The first is taken from The Unbearable Lightness of Being by Milan Kundera. Milan's a Czech writer 
who lives virtually incognito and rarely speaks to the media, but has often been nominated for a uh, Nobel Peace Prize in literature. His words, when you sit face to face with someone who is pleasant, respectful, and polite, you have a hard time reminding yourself that nothing he says is true, that nothing is sincere. Maintaining non-belief requires a tremendous effort and the proper training. The second reading is taken from Faye Lost by Courtney Privet. Here is how someone once described Courtney. You've got three young kids, you're a crafter, you play an instrument, you have narcolepsy, and you publish 11 novels. That's Courtney. Her words. The two most common lies in our world are, I'm fine. You'll be okay. They're said without harmful intent and often said in an attempt to duplicate worries. But still, they tell us it's not our place to make another person uncomfortable or to draw too much attention to ourselves. Over and over, we mindlessly repeat variations of the same two phrases as we hide within our lies and attempt to spare others from the miserable truth. I'm fine. I'm okay. You're fine. You'll be okay. Everything will be all right. We become our lies, but only on the surface. Underneath, we're not fine. They will not be okay. We all know this, but we're afraid to speak it. Offered as wisdom for the journey. Focused Moments from Greta Bosper. I chose the focus moment uh, today from some that I had written in the past. Uh, in fact, uh, it's one that I wrote for one of the movies last year, in last year's uh, Inspired by Hollywood. Um, but I'm reprising it here because it seems to touch the same kind of story as uh, we experience in the movie The Farewell. From the beginning, we consume the world around us, feeding ourselves on what we see, feel, hear, touch. The lives into which we are born circumscribe our own. They chart our inner landscape, fitting it to conform to the curls and whorls, the color and beauty, the jagged edges and precipitous cliffs of their most rugged truths. We devour it all, pleating juvenile versions of truth into our limited but comprehensive rule of life. But what do we really know? And when? Do we ever see the complexities of brokenness, the emptiness of ritual and routine, or are all these things just so much wallpaper against which we project the shadows that we call our lives? Do we ever hear night's keening sorrows silenced every morning as the lit beauty of liquid amber pours into our cups? Do we ever touch 
the harsh bones of yesterday's stories caught in paper folds upon the porch but written in hatred on the brows and backs and bodies of a landscape so dark we tell ourselves it bears no scars. I would just like you to look at the words on the next screen for a moment. Ryan O'Neill wrote a song called Snow and was thinking about the movie It's a Wonderful Life in which angels are mentioned as appearing and the petals in a pocket were a reminder of all the connections that were important in a life and put this amazing song together to take us into the new year. The branches have traded their leaves for white sleeves. On blooded creatures make ghosts as they breathe. Scars are wrapped tightly like gifts under trees. Christmas lights hang. The table is set 
And our glasses are full The pieces go missing May we still feel whole We'll build new traditions In place of the old Cause life without revision Will silence our souls So let the bells keep on ringing Making angels in the snow And may the melodies surround us When the cracks begin to show And like the petals in our pockets May we remember who we are Unconditionally cared for By those who share our broken hearts As gentle as feathers The snow piles high Our world gets rewritten And retraced every time Like fresh plates and clean slates Our future is white New Year's resolutions will reset tonight. worried when um, Scott tells me that Babette is going to sing right before I speak because <laughs> it's always um, powerful. Uh, Peter, have you got a trailer? I actually wrote it down this time. Yeah. What's wrong, Dad? Please tell me. Minan is dying. She doesn't know, so you can't say anything. The family thinks it's better not to tell her. Why is that better? Chinese people have saying, when people get cancer, they die. We have to go to China. Wedding is an excuse so everyone can see her. If I was a cousin, then you think I should be there? You can't hide your emotions. If you go mad, we'll find out right away. Really? Yeah. Sala? <音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音><音
saying? Can you be a little more sensitive? What do you want from me? To scream and cry like you? Oh,是你把生命看成是个体的，这正是西方和东方的文化差异问题。东方人是把生命看成是集体的、家庭的。I The Farewell is the first of our Hollywood um, movies, inspired by Hollywood movies, which we'll look at for the next several weeks. And we did commit um, to doing some that focus on Black History Month when we get into that in February, so that uh, we can bring you some of that. But the first two films I've brought you have subtitles, so sorry about that. Um, This one and next week's uh, movie, Parasite, uh, which is a very challenging film. Um, I, in my uh, defense, I choose these films based on previews that are rated, you know, adapted and acceptable for 14A audiences. So periodically, we end up with movies that are a little more challenging. Um, I never forget the year that I chose Inglorious Bastards, The Hurt Locker, and Precious. And I remember getting a phone call from some members of the congregation, who I know are here, telling me that they had made a decision not to put that kind of stuff in front of themselves. Um, And, of course, I had forced it there unknowingly. So, um, that's all I'm going to tell you about Parasite, uh, but it is an extraordinarily powerful film, uh, and and it is not surprising that it is uh, being offered uh, as a film that deserves an Academy Award. What I have done differently this year is that not all the, p- the films that we are looking at are films that have been nominated for Best Picture Award. They may have Best... Uh, actor or uh, best music or something like that. They've been nominated for an award of some kind, but not necessarily all of the uh, best picture uh, videos that were, or films that we're seeing this year. So, farewell. Um, I watched this a few days ago. Uh, it's available on Google Play if anybody wants to watch it. Uh, it's easily accessible. Uh, and it is a film that looks at the difference in two cultures, uh, predominantly someone who is, uh, has been raised from the time she was six uh, in New York City with her parents, uh, and their uh, transition away from the whatever the culture was that she had been born into, and which has now, for the most part, been left behind by both her parents and herself. Uh, to the point that when her parents are really struggling to try to explain to her why they shouldn't tell her grandmother, who has, who has just been diagnosed with fourth-stage lung cancer, uh, why they shouldn't tell her, they're really not able to say anything coherent. And the quote that you heard, um, if, but it was in, the, I'm sorry, the subtitles were very small, um, that her mom, Jan, says to her, um, well, there's a saying in, in Chinese, um, when you have, get cancer, you die, which is really not a saying, but that's pretty much all she can come out with as to why um, they shouldn't tell her because that's so 
uh, disappointing. The end of it in the film is not just, uh, there's a saying in Chinese that when you get uh, cancer, you die. It's that you die, you don't die from the disease, you die from the fear. And so that's why um, they don't want her to be told. But the premise of the film is layer upon layer upon layer of untruth. Uh, Nainai, I've just told you that Nainai, the grandmother, has been diagnosed with fourth stage uh, lung cancer. But she's not told that she has fourth stage lung cancer. Her sister uh, gets the information from the physician, goes out to the waiting room, and and Nainai looks at her and says, so how am I? You're fine. And nothing but, what did they call it? Um, Nothing but uh, benign shadows. That's what she tells her. It's nothing but benign shadows. And so uh, she goes, really? Yeah, yeah, maybe from when you were sick before, but you're fine now. So Nainai says, oh, okay, fine. So she's well and she's very happy. Um, but this wedding is taking place. So that's the first lie that you actually see happen. And then you find out that the lie about the wedding is that this uh, grandson, uh, Nainai's grandson, so one of Billy's uh, cousins, and Billy is the one who has been raised in New York City, and her cousin has been raised in Japan. So he is getting married, but it's all set up as an excuse to get people to go to China to spend time with the grandmother before she dies, even though she doesn't know that she's dying. So they, have, they bring this poor man and his uh, soon-to-be bride, who he'd been casually dating for about three months, to get married in China. So everyone can come and have a big marriage celebration with them. And a very uh, significant portion of the movie is uh, Nainai, the grandmother, talking with Billy, the the young woman from New York, uh, in front of uh, the the couple getting married, having their photos taken, their official photos taken prior to the wedding. And everything is a fake something. Like, there's, there's... it's just this backdrop of pretense uh, against which the entire drama is played out. Um, and you saw one picture of Nainai forcing uh, the bride's head down onto the shoulder of her fiancé. And, of course, she doesn't speak any Chinese at all. She only speaks Japanese. So she doesn't know what anyone's talking about at any point in the entire movie. So the, the whole story about lies, and I'm, I'm sorry that Wei isn't here today, um, although I was terrified that she would be. <laughs> uh, you know, as a sociologist, as a Chinese sociologist, um, I was a little worried about talking about Chinese culture, so please don't tell her anything I said, <laughs> which is not true. Please share it with her, and I'm not getting into Chinese culture, really. Um, because I think that the movie is made not uh, for, uh, for Chinese culture. It's made to expose the lies that we, the lies that we live by that surround our um, culture, that surround everything that we do. As the first uh, reading noted, you know, when you're having a pleasant conversation with someone, it's almost always lies, right? The person is always, you know, telling you something that's not really true. And one of the things that we need to figure out is what really is true. So here's a list of some of the lies. The first, the, the show opens with Billy on the phone with her grandmother while her grandmother is waiting um, in the waiting room to get the results that will tell her that she's fine, even though she's not. And Billy's having this conversation with her uh, and telling her that everything is fine. That, and she's acting as though she's 
you know, nothing has changed. Uh, she's grown up in China, only really she hasn't. She's grown up in America, and she's living in New York City. And just before she leaves, and or right when she gets home, I'm not sure which, she opens up an envelope that tells her that she does not get a Guggenheim Fellowship for which she applied. And she doesn't tell anybody that through the most of the movie. Um, she just lets them believe that she's still waiting to find out, because that's, of course, what she's going to do with her life. Um, but she doesn't actually get it, and she doesn't tell anyone. So there's the backdrop of that lie. Around Nainai's death, the sister, of course, lies to her about the results. The children, her children, Nainai's children, lie to her uh, about uh, herself. The grandchildren lie to her, uh, both of them eventually just breaking down uncontrollably. Uh, the husband, uh, the young man who gets married to the woman he hardly knows, um, at the end of the wedding reception, just falls into this uncontrollable uh, flow of tears, sobs and sobs and sobs. And of course, everyone thinks it's because he's so happy, right? Uh, when his father gets up to make a speech uh, about the wedding, he completely dissolves in tears because he's so happy. And, and Billy, like they're all so happy, so they're always sobbing, uh, these un uncontrollably. But the message is that you have to uh, go along to get along. Like you can't let anybody know exactly how it is that you're feeling, um, so you just lie about it. Um, Billy's mom uh, initially lies to Billy about the reason for the trip, just saying that she's, they're going to the wedding, right? Well, why am I not going to the wedding? Well, you don't need to go to the wedding. Well, why don't I need to go to the wedding? Well, you don't, right? What's going on, mom and dad? Nothing, nothing. We're going to the wedding. What is the matter? Why is nobody talking about... We're Nothing. There's nothing the matter. So finally, she gets it out of them that her nai-nai is dying. And she goes, well, I want to go and see her. The wedding is an excuse, her mother says. It's an excuse just to get everybody there. She goes, well, why am I not going? She says, because you can't lie on your face right? You can't go because you're going to give it away. You're going to be sad. You're going to cry. You're going to look down, right? So in other words, you can't lie very well, right? And the, and the message is you have to pretend that you're okay. So how many people have in response to, hi, how are you? Said, I'm great. Thanks. And the rest of you are probably lying. <laughs> that was a trick. Sorry about that. Um, Sorry? People all. And the argument there is they all have their own stuff. Why do they want to carry yours too? Right? Yes, we don't like the question. So come up with a new question. Good to see you. That could be a lie too, though. Uh, there's a whole layer there I don't really want to go to. But thank you. Thank you, Elaine. That's very, very true. Um, so uh, I talked about the wedding background, but another one of them is when uh, Nainai goes to meet the caterer, and they're doing the finalizations for the wedding, and either Nainai or the caterer is lying. Um, Nainai insists that she has ordered lobster for uh, the meal, and the caterer insists that it's crab, right? And so there's this back and forth and back and forth, and somebody is lying. I'm, I think it's probably Nainai, because the caterer, you know, if it was lobster, he'd know it was lobster. But anyway, so one of them is lying, and Nainai um, backs down finally, 
another hint that it was her that was trying to get something better. Um, but everybody ends up with these crabs this big on their plates for the wedding. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, at one point, they go to uh, the grandfather's grave. And they do all kinds of things on the grave. They leave food. Um, you know, there's that joke where somebody says, why are you leaving rice on their grave? It's not like they eat it. And the Chinese person says to them, well, why are you leaving flowers? It's not like they can smell them, right? So uh, traditionally, they present food uh, at the grave site, uh, and they do a variety of different things. There are petals that are torn off and put there uh, in order to let uh, the grandfather know that the food is there, or I'm not, I can't remember all of the reasons. Uh, they're concerned. Oh, no, the petals were put there so that no one would steal the food, because often someone will leave food at a gravesite, and someone else will come and take it off and give it to their ancestor instead. But on the way, so there's this very complex ritual taking place um, at, at the gravesite, and then when everyone leaves, on the way out, Nainai is saying, just throw my ashes in the sea. I don't want you to come and see me, right? I don't want anyone to have to do this. And the clip that you saw of people mourning uh, is shown uh, as an example of how Chinese families often hire mourners because they want it to look like the person uh, was deeply, deeply, uh, you know, it was, people are very sad that the person has died, so they'll hire these professional mourners. Um, at one point, it suggested that they hire some professional guests for the wedding, right, and to make things look happy, happy. So, uh, so those are some more of the lies that are going on. So where are we going to go with this? Uh, the second reading, uh, the reading that is uh, from The Incredible Lightness of Being, uh, had me um, reviewing some of the story about that novel. Uh, those of you who are familiar with it, it took place during the Prague Spring in 1968, uh, which began in January, I believe, uh, where this whole uh, political liberalism uh, began to be celebrated through mass protests uh, and riots and, and brought into, uh, into Prague and into other places in Czechoslovakia this sense of personal rights uh, that people could experience, uh, which they had not been experiencing under the regime. Uh, within a few months, however, the Soviet Union, as part of the Warsaw Pact, uh, came in and uh, invaded Poland and reimposed the martial law under which people had lived. So it was called a spring. It didn't last very long. We've seen that happen again where there have been uh, crushing um, challenges to movements that have brought about independence. But the thing about the book is that the incredible lightness of being is something that is, is identified as how it is we live when we give up uh, those stories that have us living for a reason that extends beyond our life. So whether it is that you believe that there's another, that you're reincarnated, which was, would not have been the belief in Prague, it would have been a, a mostly Catholic uh, belief, uh, that you would be um, living in the afterlife and that your life in the afterlife would be conditional upon what happened in this life. And um, the book is to try to invite people to see that it's only when you are invested in this life as your only life that you can actually act in any ways of significance. If you're constantly tempering your choices 
because of what your fear in the next life, you're, ne- you're never going to do the things that need to be done that are bold enough to actually live your life. And when someone chooses to do that, uh, they experience that incredible lightness of being. It's, you, you don't have that weight. You have possibility open before you. Now, the possibility that opens before you can sometimes be an incredible responsibility and challenge, but you get to take part in it because you aren't worried about something about which you have no need to worry, either because it's going to take care of itself or it doesn't exist. And so when we're looking at all of the stories that are taking place uh, in the movie The Farewell, people are living because of the ways that they think they will impact other people and because of the ways they think they may live in another time. And so they don't want to tell the truths about what's going on around them because those truths are too heavy to carry. They're too heavy to be carried by the individuals in them. Indeed, uh, I remember I told you that the parents had no, the parents who had grown up or raised their child in New York had kind of had a lot of difficulty explaining uh, to Billy why she couldn't tell her grandmother. It was only her uncle uh, who had ironically grown up in Japan but had stayed closer to his culture who was able to say that there's a difference between the East and the West. Uh, when it comes to these kinds of stories. In the West, you live as individuals, but in the East, you live as a community. And and then he says, it's our responsibility to carry the sorrow that would be in Nainai's heart. We carry it as a group by not telling her that she has cancer. We carry the responsibility for that pain and that sorrow ourselves. And you can see that it does affect everyone in the family in profound ways. The first reading um, was a, that I, the piece I want to pick up is how we tell lies about ourselves and we tell lies um, about others. We tell lies, you know, you're going to be fine, absolutely fine. I'll see you next week, right? I don't know. Um, or I'm fine. I'm great. I think I said that several times this morning. Of course, I actually am. So that's okay. Not lying there. Um, <clears throat> so we tell these lies, and, and we tell them all the time. And then she says at the end of that reading, we become our lives, lies, but only on the surface. Underneath, we are not fine. And they, the people we keep telling are fine, uh, they're not going to be okay. We all know this, but we're afraid to speak it. Now, I'm talking mostly about how we interact with people in a casual way. But how many of you uh, had, you know, tables surrounded by multiple people, not normally at your tables, whether it was family or friends, collected people come together uh, for celebrations over the holidays, uh, who didn't share the full stories about what's going on in in your lives or in their lives when you gathered around the table. Um, When I was growing up, the table was pretty big. And there were always lots of people at it. And we smiled and we laughed and we ribbed one another and we told jokes. And, and we all went away feeling great, but 
probably few of us actually had said what was really going on in our lives. Or if we did, it certainly wasn't at that table. That was the table for taking care of the tribe. That was the table for taking care of the family, for weaving it back together again, no matter what was going on in anyone's individual life. The only issue was that we weren't able to be present to one another in those places where we really hurt because we didn't share them around the table, and so no one knew. If perhaps we had been more honest about those things, we could have been present to one another and not only um, borne the weight ourselves, but allowed that community to share the struggle of that pain in, the, in a blending of what the uncle refers to as the East-West um, differences of how to be in times of trauma and sorrow. But I want to go to you and ask you uh, what some of the illusions that we live under are, because these lies are our, our ways of casting out in front of us these beautiful little illusions uh, that create a world uh, for us. And it, and it takes a lot of introspection, a lot of time, sometimes a lot of therapy, to figure out how, how padded a cell we are actually in, right? How, how much of our reality is really known by people around us. We, and not that I want you to bleed all over everybody. You don't have to do that. But how much of that illusion do we actually buy and, be, and begin to believe and so not face the things that really we may need to have faced or engage the things, the issues that we really should engage? So I'm wanting to ask you, when it comes to uh, those little lies that you tell, um, are you willing to share any of them? Or what are those, what, what categories do they fall into? Elaine has brought up the category of health. How, how are you? You really want to know. Like, do you really want to know? How much time do you have? And that's not related to your health question, right? Like, how much time do you have is in how long are you going to live? It's how much time do you have? <laughs> and if I give you 20 minutes of how I am, do you have the 20 minutes? Wow. Elaine just disclosed that she uh, told someone that she was suicidal. Was that recent? You should tell me those things. Right? I should know those things. Yeah, we'll talk. <laughs> but we do. We don't really share those things. That's that stuff that we don't tell about ourselves. And what don't we tell about others? Do we tell the truth about others? How's the family? Oh, fabulous. I'm so glad to hear that. Uh, yeah. Well, so-and-so is getting a divorce and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It has left the country because there's a warrant out for their arrest. And, you know, like, it could be entertaining, but probably not what people really want to hear, although the gossip mills would probably be fed pretty well with that kind of stuff. Yes? So you would say, tell me how you are instead of how are you? Oh, I really do want to know. 
Okay, Sky is suggesting that um, there are, there are if, if you really do want to know, you need to let people know that you really want to know, right? Instead of just saying, how are you, which they know is coded for don't act, don't tell me, no matter what, don't tell me. Um, if you go, how are you, I really do want to know, and I have the time, right? And I have the time, so you can tell people. But, yes, Jim? <laughs> yes, yes. I hope his mouth wasn't open the entire time. I, Jim being a dentist. Um, yeah, we can. We can lose that. Louise, you wanted to say something. I think some people don't want to tell you that they don't want your unsolicited advice. And often when you tell someone, they're ready to solve the Yes. So people don't answer you the truth, give you the truth, because they, they know that that's just going to give you, them back a whole pile of unsolicited advice, as, as Louise puts it, which is actually true. And not just advice, the opportunity for other people to say, oh, yeah, I have this, this, this. Yes, a, a mirror response from someone saying, yes, I, oh, well, that's bad, but listen, no, you, wait till you hear what I have. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Unsolicited advice can be cut off, but stories can't be. Anna Maria's right about that. Walt, you wanted to say something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's very good. At the beginning of the movie, it says this story is based on an actual lie. And at the end of the story, uh, you saw at one point uh, Nai Nai teaching Billy how to do this um, cleansing process, which is ha, ha, and she does that. And at the end, you see Nai Nai, the real Nai Nai, the one that was actually lied about. No, the actual lie was told to her six years after she, they, she didn't learn that she had lung cancer, doing the same ha thing, right? And and still uh, well. So the question is, uh, what's the fiction, right? And, and what's real, right? So it is based on a, on a true story. You've already spoken? Okay. Um. Another big problem is lying to ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what are those lies that we tell ourselves? How good we are, how bad we are, right? What are, that we treat other people well, or how we treat them? What are some other lies that we tell ourselves? And this is where this is where I was really going here. What are the lies that we tell ourselves culturally and personally? This problem is not mine. You're not actually talking about me, right? Okay. This problem, this I didn't. This isn't my. I didn't make this up. This isn't my problem. I didn't instigate it. It belongs to someone else, right? And that 
you can classify a lot of cultural lies within that, right? Some of the things that go on in the world and in our communities. Um, Gwen? You're looking very well for having another birthday. Yes, we lie about that all the time, don't we? Right? Mother Nature is very good about that. If you go to a class reunion, everybody looks exactly the same, even if you graduated 30 years before, right? Have you noticed that? Except some people don't have hair anymore. Um, not usually the women. But other than that, everybody kind of, you recognize them all because they all look the same, right? Okay, but what are some of the big lies that we tell ourselves? Blaming the victim, it's their fault, right? And we do that habitually. We do that on autopilot. We have to actually stop ourselves. Well, you know, the indigenous communities, if they had just signed on to that educational thing, they were going to get an educational thing, their supplies would have flowed. It's their fault. They didn't sign that, right? Uh, other ones, Walt? All the other drivers on the road are terrible. Emily? Yep. I am totally responsible for everybody around me. Um, I can make them happy. I can, you know, make them do something else. Someone over here had their hands up. Join. I can do everything myself without any help from anyone else. And if I can't do it, I just don't, right? It doesn't need to be done, right? If I can't do it, it doesn't need to be done, right? There's nothing I can do about the environment political situation. Um, what are some of the other things we can do nothing about? You can't change other people. You have to change themselves, right? Whereas having an interesting conversation with them might actually introduce some of the things and ways in which they can. How many of you have enough money? <laughs> I have one, one honest person in the room. Two. We most, what is enough, right? We have enough. Um, I saw a, a, an article written in uh, the news down south, I can't remember what the paper was, about Ocasio, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, saying that we now have a whole generation in the United States that has not, that has not grown up uh, in, with wealth, that have grown up without wealth, right? And the person who was responding was going, are you out of your mind, lady? Do you know what people on the other side of the world contend with and what they have compared to what the people... So both of them were blinded to certain realities, right? But they were both only partial pictures, right? But that we don't have enough is one of the biggest fallacies in our lives, right? I just... My son just came and put a new faucet in my, in my bathroom sink, uh, the ensuite, and um, I haven't had hot water in it for almost two years, I think. And he installed it, and I went into the bathroom, and I went, oh, it doesn't have one of those pop-up drains. I'm going to have to go buy a pop-up drain, right? I never put the plug in that stupid thing anyway, right? It took me like 10 minutes before I went, wait a minute. <laughs> you don't need that. I've got a drain. The water disappears. What else do I need? But we don't have enough. We always we are compulsively trying to fill a, a void that probably can never be filled because it's not a void, it's a mindset. We have to change the mindset. So ourselves, the lies we tell ourselves, are a lot of them are based on that 
I don't have enough. I'm not healthy enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not loved enough. I don't have enough things. I don't have enough money put away for my retirement. I don't have, I don't have the things I wanted to have by this time in my life, right? That's about ourselves. When it gets to talking about other people and what they have or don't have or what they're doing or not doing, we can, we can pretty easily condemn entire populations for what's going on in their part of the world. And we can tell those lies to ourselves because it makes us feel better about the pursuit of our own happiness and how that is lived out. So that's ourselves and others. What about the planet? What are the big lies that we're telling ourselves about the planet? So, so a lot of people live under the illusion that this is just another cycle, right, that, that we go through periodically. It is. Uh, it is actually one of the cycles. It's the cycle of extinction, right? right? It's not, you know, a 40-year cycle or even a 100-year cycle. It's a cycle of extinction that has been set in place for the last 150 years, right? We tell ourselves. What do we tell ourselves about that? Doesn't affect me. I won't live long enough. That's actually probably not a lie. Oh, it could be, actually. I can't make a difference. Whatever I'm doing is not going to make a big difference. If someone else would do something, it would be solved. Right, John? Not me. That's right. Every snowflake in an avalanche says, it's not me. I didn't do this. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. Um, I someone sent me a song by the Kingston Trio, uh, Mary Ma- Mary Minuet, and it's a song about written in 1949, and it's going out in my Impact Weekly email uh, tomorrow. Uh, because the words could have been written for the times that we're in right now, right? And so we just keep on singing and keep on going because we can't change anything, right? And, and that is a lie that we protect because we can't bear the realities of it. We can't bear what is coming. We can't, we can't get our heads around. The, the, the melting that's taking place in the polar ice cap is now at the rate that scientists predicted it would be at in 70 years from now, in 2070, sorry, so 50 years from now in 2070. And, and it's here now in 2020, 2019, 2020. So we don't want to read that stuff because we don't want to actually have to change in ways that uh, can actually make a difference. And that is probably not the work that one little snowflake can do. That's the work that we all have to do, and that, and that goes to our diets. And I know many of you have moved away from a, a meat-eating diet, at least uh, for part of your, of your week, and that's one of the biggest things. But one of the, one of the other ones is um, planting seagrass. How many of you know how important seagrass is? Yeah, a few of us. Um, and there are organizations you can plant acres of seagrass. Um, that's, the seagrass is necessary not for carbon, but to try to absorb the methane, which is what will actually um, make most species on the planet extinct. 
uh, and that has not yet started to leach out of uh, the Arctic, uh, but as the Arctic uh, ice cap melts, it will continue to do so more quickly. And none of you want to hear me saying any of this, right? You don't want to hear it. It seemed to me that the entire movie, The Farewell, was an invitation for us not to look at just a family dysfunction and the way that they dealt with it, but a recognition that we all have to carry the sorrow of what's going on around us in our own hearts. We have to bear it together. And we have to bear it to one another. That's B-E-A-R the first time and B-A-R-E the second time. We have to carry it and learn to carry it and find ways, the ways that we can hold it is by trying to make a difference in some way. Staying whole, staying healthy, staying um, strong, engaging where we can, forgiving ourselves for where we can't, but acknowledging that we can't. And bearing our hearts to the people around us as honestly and as truthfully as we can and feel their rejection of the idea. And as they reject the idea, inviting them to engage a little bit further, owning that they're not rejecting you, though they may be, because you are a bearer of that news, um, but inviting a different way in, right? It's not, you know, the sky is falling is not necessarily the way to get anybody to respond. But helping people see the impact of a single choice might make a difference. So being part of those conversations. Amazingly enough, Nainai was still alive six years after that incredible diagnosis. We might still be here in 30 years. We may not be extinct in the 10 or 12 years that some project the methane will kill us all off. So we might live on as a species. We may protect the species on the planet. We may not have the carbon or the methane problems that we thought we would. But wouldn't that be a much better world to live in if we made the difference that allowed that to happen? And even though we're not going to be here to see it, wouldn't it be a much better world? Couldn't we die dreaming of our grandchildren doing amazing things, having rich and full lives like we were able to walk into? Wouldn't it be worth putting in a little bit more elbow grease, cutting down a few more things in our lives for that last breath to be a breath of truth? Truth that was maybe not foretelling a perfect future, but truth that was spoken and lived in our lives when we could, as we can, as we must. The farewell need not be a farewell to all we've known, but it may be asking us for a farewell to much of what we have been doing. And that doesn't change who we are. It allows us to be who we are. Thank you.
Honestly, I planned to finish early today, so my apologies. But lunch is going to be served, so please uh, partake. There's a couple of very full tables out there. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being present, for hearing the hard words that we share with one another, for letting them find their way under your skin and your fingernails and into your heart, for balking and acknowledging that you're balking and then taking a step in. Thank you for being here. And thank you for taking here with you when you go. Go in peace. podcast from West Hill United Church located in Scarborough, Ontario, Canada. These podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our listeners, volunteers, and members of our community. To donate, go to our website, www.westhill.net, and click on the Canada Helps button, or go to www.westhill.net forward slash donate.